thank God for uh, a place to come and worship, and we're thankful and grateful uh, to be able to have a place here to assemble with like-minded believers, trusting in God, and coming together to be unhappy. How many come in unhappy today? Is anybody happy? A couple is happy. Okay. The other of you hopefully are not unhappy because you didn't witness to that. This is week three of our unhappy series, talking about childish ways. And um, the story of Jesus, when the disciples come to him worried about who they was going to be in the future, when he set up his kingdom, Matthew 18, it says that he took a child and placed among them and told them, unless you become as a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. heard preachers say before that the kingdom of heaven is a place and the kingdom of God is God's way of doing things. So when you read through scripture and the gospels and you see the words kingdom of God, that means it's God's way of doing things and the kingdom of heaven is a place. So if the kingdom of heaven is a place, it's a place that we should desire to go because when they was thinking about Jesus setting up a kingdom, they was thinking about an earthly kingdom. They wanted him to redeem them from their problems and from their troubles and their trials and all the things they were facing here on this planet. Amen? And just like those disciples, when we, as Americanized Christians, come to God, sometimes we expect him to save us from situations or from problems or from trials or tribulation. But if you read the scripture in its entirety, you'll see that Jesus prophesied to the disciples that they would endure hard times, that there would be bad situations that they would have to face as individuals, as his disciples. But in true Christianity, it is that Jesus is telling them things are going to happen. Amen. You look at your neighbor and say this, say, bad things, bad things. Happen, happen to good people. Good people. Amen? Amen? Christianity isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card. Christianity is having God to walk by your side with you through the troubles and the trials and the storms of life. Amen. The disciples ended up in that ocean that day with Jesus in the boat sleeping because Jesus isn't troubled by the situations on this planet. And the disciples were in the midst of that storm and water coming in the boat and they were so perplexed about what to do that they went to Jesus and they shook him and woke him up and they said, Aren't you troubled? That we will die? <laughs> Jesus doesn't get shook up. Jesus isn't worried 
about the future because he knows who holds it. Come on, somebody. God holds your future in his hand. He's got the whole world in his hand. He's got the whole wide world in his hand. Unless we become like children and begin to sing those childish songs, we'll get too adultish. And in our adult ways, we lose track of the sense, like we said last weekend, of the awe and the wonder of God. But sometimes kids, even in their youthfulness, don't know how to act. If you've got a kid sitting by you or you've got your kid sitting in this room, you need to say amen. Rick, you tried your best with Derek, but still got some childish ways, I'm sure. So, I want to read today, and I want to talk about the topic of back-talking. Everybody say, this sounds interesting. <laughs> this, this sounds fun. I'm glad it's dark and nobody can look around, Leslie said. That is a childish trait, is back-talking. All the adults and the parents can say amen. Maybe you're a school teacher. You could say amen even louder. So I want us to look at Genesis chapter 4 and just read through this story. It's a very popular story, and I'm sure you'll recognize it once we begin to read. And, but I want to pu pull out a few principles from it and hopefully by the end of the service get us to a point uh, that God intends for us to get to in this story. Verse 1, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. And he said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, everybody say process. process. Parents, you have 18 years in the process of time to do God's work of rearing your children. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Verse 4, Abel brought, also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not, everybody say did not, did not. respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Our childish ways, we don't like getting tuned up. Or we don't like getting whipped. Or we don't like getting corrected. Amen? Mom was one of those really mean parents. At least Dad would whoop you with a paddle every time, the same paddle. Mom would make us go get switches, and we'd have to go get them ourselves. And if the first one wasn't sufficient that we brought back, she'd send us back to get another one. I think that's just 
cruel. And when I was a kid, I really thought that was cruel. Because you know how it is. You go and get that stick, and you get the one that you hope is going to break the first whack. So Cain says, it says here that his countenance fell. Your face says it all. Leslie says all the time that she can't hide no. how she's feeling because it shows up on her face. And I'm pretty good at dragging the best out of her. Verse 6, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Verse 8, now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you're cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond shall you be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you've driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whosoever kills Cain's vengeance shall be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Isn't it amazing that Cain was scared of what was going to happen to him was the same thing that he did to somebody else. In our childish ways, all too often God will look down upon us and I'm sure he sees us wishing to dole it out but not have any of it to come back as a reward. For every action, there is an opposite reaction. A lot of us don't like to think that there is judgment in God's kingdom. But in reality, there is a lot of judgment in God's kingdom. In the New Testament, it says... Judgment must begin at the house of God. Christians should desire God's judgment. How long has it been since you prayed a prayer and said, God, please judge me. Please review me. Please look deep on the inside of me. And challenge me and change me and correct me. If you have it lately, maybe you should. Judgment must begin at the house of God. That means Christians, we need to desire God's judgment 
Because we can't pray judgment on the world and not expect it ourselves. We cannot live by two standards. We cannot expect others to do things and then walk in a way that's unpleasing to God ourselves. So in the reality of this story, I think the overview of it is that Cain is a... Back-talking God. Everybody say, don't talk back. Sometimes back-talking will get you backhanded. Come on, somebody. Next slide, Leslie. And uh, I don't want to point any fingers or say anything in here, but I've been out to eat with some of y'all. I'll come over to your house. And this is what the image is from the outside looking in. Can anybody in the room say Amen. Can anybody say, that's me? <laughs> that's my kids? I'm glad we just got dogs. <laughs> so I don't have to endure this. <laughs> Sometimes Jake will talk back, though. He barks because I run out of muffins, but it's not too awful bad. Next slide. Sometimes talking back isn't words. Sometimes talking back is the image that's on the screen. And in our story, I'm wondering how God comes down, even after the fall of Adam and Eve, and they had partook of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they had decided to separate themselves from God, but still God comes down and talks to them. The father desired relationship so much that he would not allow even their knowledge of good and evil to separate themselves from him that he still would not come and talk to them. What God really wants to be is up in your business. You can't run, you can't hide, you can't sin too much that it causes him to still not want to be in relationship with you. Romans says, while we were yet sinners, yet he loved us. If there's anything we need to understand in this place today, it is that God loves us. He loves the sinner. He loves the saint. He loves those with, he loves those without. He loves the troublemaker, and he loves the bullied. He loves us all. But in this story, I wonder, and I'm questioning this verse where it says, in the process of time. 
In my own philosophy, I believe that, there, that everything that we do on this planet is a process. And I believe that process is important. I think a lot of people stay the same and expect a different outcome because of their insanity is they won't understand the process of what God is doing in their life. He doesn't want you to remain the same. When we come to Him, we're to be born again. And being born again means start afresh, start anew. But in the process of time, in verse 3, as God comes down and talks to them and still has communion with them and relationship with them, I wonder how often and how many times that God had inspired Adam and Eve to raise their kids to know Him. To intentionally lay it upon their heart. To train up their kids, their children. The scripture says, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So parents in this room understand this today, that in the process of time, your number one responsibility is to train up your kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Make God first. Because in the process of time, time will get away from you. And you'll blink two or three times and your child will be going into kindergarten. And then a couple more blinks and they'll be going into middle school. And then a couple more blinks, they'll be going into high school. And then a couple more blinks, you'll be sending them out the road to go to college. Time keeps on ticking <laughs> into the future. I know that's a song, but it must be a good song because it sounds like it's true. Because how many can attest to this? It seems like time keeps on ticking. It goes by way faster than we intended it to. And time will get away from you if you're not intentional and you're not in the middle of process that you understand, I need my kids to know that God is real. I need them to understand. That's why we do baby dedications. That's why baby crew come up here a few weeks ago. I believe we should dedicate our kids unto the Lord. They did it in the Old Testament. We've seen with Samuel. We know when the Gospels take off in all parts of the Gospel that when Jesus was born on the eighth day, they took him to the temple and Anna the prophetess lifted him up and she prayed a prayer over him. Your kids are too important to waste your time on something else. Come on somebody, the process of time will process them out of your hand and they will grow up to be the person that you didn't intend them to be. Parents, you have a responsibility. I envy you in this way that I have nobody to turn my junk over to other than my nieces and nephews, I guess. But I tell everybody all the time that whatever I gain on this earth, I don't, the Bible tells you, you know, parents, you've got to lay up a, a, a future. You've got to lay up a treasure for your kids and, and up to the fifth generation that God's put upon you and placed upon you the responsibility that you're to leave an inheritance to your kids. 
Thank you, Ernie and Karen, or mom and dad. Thank you. Thank you very much. But what I inherited, who am I going to leave it to? Jake, he's going to be gone before I'm gone, hopefully. Dog years. Leslie says dogs are the best because they're like teen teenagers. But they die by the time. They die by the time they're teenagers and you don't have to mess with them anymore. Don't well, act like y'all don't want to laugh. Just let it out. <laughs> it's the truth. In the process of time. So I tell everybody all the time, you know, that I'm going to use up all my junk and whatever the, uh, my inheritance does get left my nieces and nephews, they can have it, but they're going to have a bunch of junk. It's going to be wore out because I'm going to have fun in my own time. I love it, though, because Brindley came to me a while back and asked me how much I'd take for my junk car that's out to the Howie's that don't have a motor, don't have a transmission. It's a big piece of junk, and it's yellow, and she likes it, and I said, you can have it. It's done wore out. It'll just come out of your side of the inheritance, that's all. It says, in the process of time. Should Adam and Eve have taught their kids how to act towards God? Or did they leave that responsibility up to God? I've read so many things and heard so many podcasts about how that in American culture today that too many Christian families spend every waking hour of their week doing whatever they want and they think they can come to church and bring their kid here and put them in children's church or nursery for one hour out of a week. And that somehow the kids are going to understand everything about God in that one hour. That's unfair. <laughs> That's putting a big burden on those Sunday school teachers, those children's church teachers, those nursery workers. You can't have 167 to you and one to us and expect us when your kid messes up that it's our fault. Now, I assure you that our children's church workers, they put a lot of effort in. They study through the week. They get their crafts together. They go and get their snacks and their supplies to bring in the room so your kid can be happy when they leave and not unhappy. To keep them from their childish ways on the way out the door. But we can't put all the responsibility back on God for the rearing of our kids. We can't place it all, the responsibility, upon the church. You have 168, 167 other hours a week that it's your responsibility as a parent or grandparent or aunt or uncle or nephew or whatever. You know, you, you have to be responsible as well. It's my responsibility. And I'm sure when this happened, this situation in Genesis 4 that we just read happened. I'm sure that they thought back through, and Adam and Eve knew all this had taken place because they had heard that one of their sons had killed their other son. And I'm sure there was pain and hurt. And I'm sure they second-guessed everything that they'd ever taught Cain. 
What if we would have? What if we would have? It's too late when you start saying what if. The day to start rearing your kids to the admonition of the Lord is today. The time to start is now. And I'm not saying you have to ace this test as a parent. I'm saying you have to give it your all. You have to do your best. And you may be sitting here and say, but pastor, I didn't come to the church and I didn't get saved until my kids was already grown. But guess what? They still look up to you. They still hold you in high regard, even if they're back-talking, even if they've got a smart mouth, even if they don't know how to act, they still hold you in high regard. Never give up the responsibility that God has given you. I love this verse, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. I think you have that one. Yeah. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. There's verses all throughout Scripture where God gives parents responsibility. He places upon your shoulders the burden of child rearing. And as a church, I don't want us to take a second guess at that and say, you know, like children's church or nursery is just something we do to keep you parents happy in this room. Some of the most responsibility of the church is to go back there and make sure that lessons are being taught in a God-honoring way. That the teachers are diligent in their efforts to make sure that kids can understand what they're saying. Even if it's a young kid down below the age of four that's in the nursery, that's learning a lesson, maybe they just learn one word that day, but that one word counts. Because if they do it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, they will have a lot of words. And hopefully it's not back-talking words. I want to ask you a question. Did you have to teach your kids to back talk? Did you have to put together like a lesson plan and be like, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to show them and we're gonna have to we're gonna have to encourage them to back talk so that they learn how. And I'm gonna have to give them a lot of lessons here and I'm gonna put a lot of effort in this and I'm gonna use illustrations and examples and I'm gonna go out and do case studies and I'm gonna have my neighbor's kids to come over and teach them how to do back talking. Don't happen, does it? That comes automatically. And the reason that comes automatically is called Adam and Eve had sinned. Once sin had entered humanity, it had entered at its hole. And in that hole was the part where that they'll walk up and touch hot things. When you can tell a, a two-year-old kid that can't even say a word yet, don't touch, don't touch, it's hot, don't touch. They'll look at you and turn their head and walk over and do. Folly is in the heart of a child. It's bound up there. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. And the rod doesn't just mean a switch, Mom. The rod doesn't mean just a paddle, Dad. The rod means using the Scripture to inspire to do good. Words 
matter, parents. It isn't that you let them run wild and free all the time, and then all of a sudden when you're all strung out and you're all tore up, that then you place the rod on the backside of your child. Because that rod is not going to do much good because all the other times are not equaling out. And I'm not telling you not to whip your kids. But I'm telling you this. Inspire them more. Be an example to them more. How we talk to each other. And they're watching, they're listening, their ears are inclined to hear what you're saying. We cannot treat our spouse one way and our kids and expect them to treat others another way. This caution says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath lest they become discouraged. Then would it not be opposite? Should we not be provoking our children to happiness? How many want your kids to be happy? How many, how many of you are happy as parents when your kids are unhappy? You're not happy. Success breeds success. Jesus says the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Adults in this room, listen. Today, we need to intentionally walk around with a happiness about us and a joy in our heart, not mattering the situation that we're facing, but that we have a God on our side that's going to help us through the storm, and we are an example to the kids around us that they will see, yes, storms happen, yes, troubles come, but guess what? In the midst of those things, God is still with us. And in the midst of our examples to them, they will see that, they will know that, and they will experience that in their own life. In the process of time. How many ever had a, a dripping faucet in your house? Anybody have a faucet, kitchen faucet to drip? What do you do? You fix it? Uh-uh. What do you do? You put a bucket underneath of it, don't you? And guess what happens? That bucket sits under there, and it'll drip, drip, drip. It's irritating, isn't it? But it's not irritating enough to fix it. Drip, 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 drip. That's the process of time. Because eventually, if you don't empty that bucket, it's going to fill up. Because in the process of time, little bitty drips assemble together to be a bucket full of water. Think of everything you say and do as a drip into your child's life. Every action Every idle word that the Bible says we're going to give account to, they're all just drips. And in the process of time, it's going to happen.
But in the process of time, Cain didn't turn out the same way as Abel. It amazes me to witness your kids and when we come over and some of you that's got more than one kid and to see how much difference there are amongst your kids and they're not the same. They're little people that you've created. They have the same DNA. They have the same environment. They have the same everything. But they're just different. Abel was different than Cain. Why is that? Maybe their teaching style was the kind that Abel was able to accept, but that Cain wasn't. But in the process of time, it says this verse, that Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. And he brought it to them, the firstborn. And when he brought it to them, he intentionally brought the firstborn. Not the secondborn, not the thirdborn, not the fiftiethborn that year. He brought the firstborn. But it starts out and it says that Cain just brought an offering. Just any offering. It's offering day. What am I going to put in? I'll just bring something, just throw it in. Was that what they seen from their parents? I don't know. The story doesn't say. But one of them did one thing and the other one did the opposite. And it said that God honored Abel's firstborn offering. But he didn't accept that which Cain had placed. Both of them were offerings, but apparently there was something different in the manner of the offering. Luke 12, 34 says, For where your heart or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is most important to us? If you have kids, hopefully they're the most important thing in your life. More important than your career more important than everything else, that God has gifted you with a child. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Just for an illustration, let's say that God tells every person in this room, I'm going to come over to your house two weeks from now, and I'm coming over for supper. How many would like to have God himself to come over and eat at your house? be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? You talk about bragging rights. God came over. <laughs> Who'd you host this week? Well, God just showed up. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. But he gave you two weeks advance warning that he was coming over. And how many of us, if God himself said, I'm coming over to eat, would just... Go on and live throughout the next two weeks and procrastinate and put it off and have no intentionality or no planning or nothing else and just uh, just saying you know two weeks from now I'll just I'll just be there and if whatever we got we'll just throw something together for him I guess for God really (laughs) 
how many as a self-imposed, willingly choose on a weekly basis to be a procrastinator? Come on now, there's more in here than that. Some of you are telling the truth, and others of you are probably lying. Some people are really good at planning. I, I love seeing people that's understood the process of time and they're intentional about a lot of things and they hold a good schedule and they do things accordingly. But procrastinators would be the people that would, God would tell them, you know, I'm coming over and two weeks later he shows up at the door, knock, 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 knock. Oh, well, come on in, Jesus. Stuff just thrown everywhere. No cleaning up had happened. You go in there and you, he's like, I'm kind of hungry. You're like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll go in there. And you go in there and fumble around the refrigerator and you find that old box of three-week-old chicken from Raising Cane's. And you bring it out and put it in the microwave and you bring it out and you get him a paper plate and you set it down on his lap and say, here, here you go, Jesus. You think he's going to be like, wow, I'm glad to come to your house. Looks like you really hold me in high regard. <laughs> then he would go to your brother's house that's the planner, the one that looks ahead, the one that's always two weeks ahead of scheduling and understands everything that's going to happen. And he goes over to your brother's house, and your brother, you know, goes and knocks on his door the next day. And whenever he walks through the door, your brother's cleaned everything up, and everything's perfect, and everything's tidy, everything's neat, everything's where it needs to be. And he walks in, and he sits down, and you place him at the honored seat, you know, like the head of the table. Here's your place, Jesus. I'm usually the head of the table, but I'm going to move on over because I hold you in high regard. And you place him in that seat and you get out the fine china and you get out the silver and you bring it over and you place it and you get this big steak that you had planned and you have had it uh, marinated in some, in some juices and you get over there and you fry it on the grill and you got all these sides that you've been working on because you know he's coming and you bring it over and set it down to him and he's got this big old plate of food that just makes your mouth water. And I'm telling you that illustration so that you will evaluate your life according to that. Is, my, is God getting my best or what I have left? If you're unhappy, if you're unsatisfied with how you're living and what life is doing to you, and you can't find any joy in the goodness of God, we need to evaluate our lives and say, maybe I'm not giving God my best. Maybe I'm not giving God my first. Abel gave him his firstborn. Cain just brought an offering. So it's not just about the offering. It's about the intent of the heart. What does God desire or deserve from you? Your best. Your all. Everything about you. 
He doesn't want compartmentalized places where that you can just say, God, you'll get one hour a week of me when I come and sit through a church service. God, you can have all of me. There's 168 hours in a week. How many does God deserve? All of them. Don't give him what's left. Give him your best. 2 Corinthians 9 says, Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And a lot of churches use that verse to compel people to give in an offering bucket. But I'm here to tell you today, it has nothing to do with that offering bucket. Because my God will supply all my needs according to His riches and glory. And this church is going to be taken care of. You know why? Because God owns the deed to the title anyway. And do we all give? Yes. Should we all give? Yes. But this is not just about giving and offering in monetary funds. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver of your time. You own your day. You make decisions every day. You get, he gave that ability to you. What are we doing with what he's gifted us? So let each of us give as he purposes in his heart. What are you intentionally giving God every week of your life? If we're unhappy... If we're like a big kid and we're childish, is it his fault we're so unhappy? Or do we need to take the blame and say, no, it needs to come right back here? Because it's a heart condition. Point number three and the last one, let's see if you'll play something. When God had put down and passed down the judgment to Cain and said, Cain, you brought an offering. It wasn't pleasing because it wasn't your best. And God tells him, sin knocks at the door. Sin is awaiting at the door, Cain. And he tells him, rule over it. God is telling you today and he's given us this message not for us to walk out of here unhappy because we're stuck in our ways and we're set in our ways and we're adults and we're all grouchy and we're mad and we're bitter and the world is against us and poor, poor, pitiful me. He's laying this message upon our heart. Why? So that we can walk out of here with a newfound faith. I need to do better. I need to go give God more than what I've been giving him lately. So Cain asked God this. He said, God, my punishment is greater than I can bear. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. We get what we pay for. I don't want to die unhappy. I don't want the world to look at me and say Christians are a bunch of fuddy-duddies. Christians can have a good time. 
Amen? Christians should be having a good time. We should have so much joy because the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. There should be so much joy banked up on the inside of us. Even those situations and hard times and bad times come and, and impossible situations where the world's looking at us and saying, that's the one that's going, they're going to throw in the towel. They're going to give up on that church thing. They're going to say, God left me and abandoned me. They're going to give up on him. But guess what? The ones that endure to the end, they shall be saved. And look at me today. I'm telling you, don't give up on God. He's worth staying with. He's worth the endurance of all this pain and troubles and trials and afflictions of this life. He's worth hanging in there with. Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. I've got enough strength to get through this. And I've got enough strength that others are going to look at me and say, I thought you would have given up. You can say, but God. I would have gave up, but God. But God what? But God was with me through it all. And it may seem like he's sleeping in that boat like the disciples saw that day. And they walk over and they shook him and they woke him up. Don't you care? There's people in this room that you feel like that. That life keeps punching you in the face. And you look up to God and you cry out and your heart cries out and you say, but God, why God, why? you even care that's where you got to go back to those old timers faith the ones that the old timers your great grandma and your grandma that had those pictures on the wall you've seen it more than likely but you can see this beach and there's one set of footprints down through there and the person challenges them to say why is there only one set of footprints that person is challenging Jesus. Why was I alone? And he says, you don't know. Those are my footsteps. I was carrying you. You may feel like you're alone in this place. You may seem like that he don't care and that he has abandoned you. But he promises. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will go with you even to the end of the age. God has not given up on you. Came back, talked to him. God tried to correct him. When God came to him, he says, where's Abel? Came back, talked to him. Said, back, talked to him. God, what do you mean? Am I brother's keeper? He's an adult. Let him fend for himself. God says, no, his blood is crying out from the ground. He was dead, but yet his blood was still speaking. God is on the side of justice. And Cain had messed up. But even in his mess up, guess what? When he comes to God and he says this, my penalty, my punishment is greater than I can bear. The wages of sin is death. If you are walking and intentionally walking in sin and you're bound by it and you can't get out of it and you've attempted over and over and over again and it seems like it's impossible to shake, guess what you need to do today? Give it to God. Jesus hang upon that cross of Calvary for all of our sin for all of eternity. He's asking you, come unto me, ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Cain's repentance word that he says, this is more than I can bear. God forgives him. The sentence is still there that you still are going to be a vagabond. You're still going to be that person that's traveling. You're still going to have that burden of growing a crop without any fertilizer that won't grow. But God places a mark upon him. And I've heard a lot of sermons talk about this mark and they place it as one different things and I think they use it in the wrong way. God places a mark upon him and that mark signifies he is God's. How many of us have read this story and think someday when we get to heaven that Cain ain't going to be there, he's going to be in a devil's hell because he messed up one time? I promise you this, God can forgive a murderer. What if God, the mark that he gave him was a mark the same way that the marks that we shall receive someday? That mark marked him as protected. Job was tried, but God gave limits to what those trials were. Won't you bow your head and close your eyes if you will? I don't know the condition of every person in this room's heart, but I know the one who does. God is seeking today for us to be truthful with ourselves and for us to be truthful with Him. truly believe that Jesus is reaching down right now and he's got an outstretched hand and he's calling upon us to reach up to him and say help me out of this mess 
Help me out of this situation, Jesus. I need you to be here with me. In the midst of this madness, Jesus, show up that I would know that you are me. Allow me to feel you. Allow me to sense your spirit. That yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you're with me. So won't you just reach up right now and just take his hand. If you need him right now in your life and you've got situations going on and troubles and trials are afflicting you and you feel alone and you feel abandoned and you feel a need right now and you can sense and know that he's reaching down from heaven and he's ready to pick you up into his loving arms. Just reach up to him right now. need to hand over to him right now. Just hand it over to him and say, Jesus, this burden that I'm bearing is too much. I'm weighed down with the afflictions of this life and I'm giving these situations to you. I've tried to fix them. I've tried to work it out. I've tried to talk it out. I'm sick of trying to do it myself. I need you, Jesus. Help me in the midst of this trouble. We will post this song on our Facebook page this week. And it's by Shane and Shane and I encourage you to go listen to this song. Throughout this week, if you've raised your hand at this place today and you've needed him in this moment and you need him right now. But we all know all too well that whenever we get up and we walk out of these doors, that the enemy climbs right back on our back before we even head down the road. Let this song be a prayer from your heart this week. The song that they ended with, you need to sing that one too. Speak the name of Jesus over my family, over my community. Speak the name of Jesus. Let his name ring aloud in the streets. Let his name ring aloud in your workplace. Jesus' name. Let these words and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you, O God. Lord, we spoke your Bible in this place today. Let it ring true in the hearts of the believers in this place. And let us walk out of here with a newfound faith. Even if it's the size of a seed of mustard grain, God, it is an everlasting faith that is eternal. 
that can grow into mighty things. Help everyone in this room. God, I pray your protection over them. I pray your blessing over them. Go with us. Prepare our hearts for what you intend for us to do. Help us to be intentional about raising our kids according to your word. Help us not to back talk you like Cain. Let us bring our best to you, O oh God. Let us bring our first and our best. And we would offer it to you, God, that it would be well pleasing. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go be a blessing to somebody this week. Encourage somebody. Lift somebody up. Smile. Be happy throughout the week. God will use you.